You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Hey, real quick before we get to this week's edition of Banner Monday, a few quick words from our sponsor, SeatGeek. You know, getting tickets online can be complicated, too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Lots of really interesting games coming up on the IU schedule uh, that you may want to get tickets for, and SeatGeek is the place where you will find the best value because what SeatGeek does is they search multiple ticket sites, they grade every ticket based on value, and that helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, and every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's what I use when I'm getting tickets to a sporting event, getting concert tickets, anything, because they just make the ticket buying experience more pleasant than anybody else, and it helps you save money. A couple of... uh, Good things, obviously. And best of all, listeners of The Assembly Call, get $10 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Obviously, my voice is not what it normally is. Dealing with a little bit of a cold, as you'll hear uh, on this episode. But bear with me. Mike DeCourcy is here. Ryan Phillips is here. They're able to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And uh, I'm going to go drink some tea, rest up, and not talk between now and tomorrow night so that I am well-rested and my voice recovers before the Duke postgame show. All right, here is this week's edition of Banner Monday. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. IU hoops, Big Ten hoops, deep dives into basketball strategy and concepts, plus previews of IU's upcoming opponents. We do it all here every Monday, and we are happy to have you here with us. This is the sixth edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 446th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, November 26, 2018. It sounds like Jared has done 446 (laughs) episodes this weekend. I am uh, I am fighting a bit of a cold, so I apologize in advance for my voice, but I'm a gamer. We're going to fight through this. Uh, okay, so let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And this week, there are three micro moments that I'm going to kind of merge into one larger macro banner moment. The first occurred in the second half of the Arkansas game. You will recall that Indiana was down by double digits and appeared on the verge of losing without much of a whimper, really. Then Juwan Morgan, who had missed much of the first half with foul trouble, asserted himself and led Indiana's charge to coming within literally inches of stealing an ugly road win. The second occurred in the second half of the UT Arlington game when Jawan put his injury-riddled Hoosiers on his back again, turning an uncomfortably close one-point game into a 14-point victory with a late second-half surge. And the third occurred in the UC Davis game when, once again, many Hoosiers struggled to play consistently well, but not Jawan. 
Once he asserted himself about midway through the first half, he became the game's dominant presence and once again helped Indiana avoid a disastrous result despite subpar overall play. This past week was a great reminder of the single most important truth about this year's Indiana basketball team. While Romeo Langford is this team's most impressive talent and Rob Finnessy is its biggest surprise and steadiest backcourt hand, Juwan Morgan is by far this team's most valuable and important player. Indiana is clearly going to need more consistent contributions across the roster to contend in a deep and rugged Big Ten, but not many teams have a senior so able and willing to put his team on his back like Indiana has in Juwan Morgan. He's off to a heck of a start, and he's the biggest reason to continue believing this IU team can achieve great things this season. All righty. And now, to my right, you already heard his voice. That was his actual voice. That was not a drop. He is back from Maui. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Phillips. I, 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 don't, dude, I don't even have any jokes. I'm just so happy you're back. We've missed you. It's great to have you here, man. You just need somebody else to talk on this episode. <laughs> Yeah, I need someone to bail me out if my voice completely goes away. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> so your your opening back. thoughts, rants, positive thoughts, whatever you got for us. First, I want to say congratulations to the Indiana men's soccer team, by the way, who uh, advanced to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament yesterday with a dominating 2 nothing win. I Quest for 9 is still alive. Uh, these guys can do it. It's one of the best teams in the history of IU soccer, so I have to mention that off the top. I know it's a basketball show, but we do all things. We, we address all things in the end here sometimes. So. Yeah, we do. Uh, and then I haven't been on since the Arkansas loss, since UC Davis, Texas Arlington, all that. Uh, I thought the Arkansas loss was unfortunate, uh, especially with the way things went down at the end. I, I was talking to some people out in Maui, and uh, specifically Jay Billis. Yeah, just dropping that name for you. Um, I was I was sitting talking to Jay Billis, and, and he said, you know, that Arkansas loss isn't a bad loss for Indiana. They should have won. Uh, and it wasn't a bad loss. It won't hurt them long-term, and it could be the kind of loss that makes them better. Uh, obviously, they're struggling with health and getting everybody back. I think that was a big part of what happened against UT Arlington and UC Davis, not just burying those teams. The, these guys look tired. I mean, from the from the, the, the video I saw, and, and I did watch the entire UT Arlington game, they, they look tired, and, and they look worn out and worn down, and it just these guys need a break and they need uh some other guys to get healthy and and, and you know you can't have Juwan Morgan play 40 minutes a game and, and win the Big 10 so uh i think that's that's really the next step is getting everybody healthy everything else i mean look they struggled over the holidays it's fine that happens it, it it's not great we're not excited about it like we were the Marquette win but the Marquette win was the last time they were really healthy and they played really well and after that Nothing. And so you really need to get this team healthy. Get the guys who are core players like Devontae Green and, and Zach McRoberts back. Get a guy who you expected to play a lot, like Race Thompson back. I mean, Demise Anderson is playing way more time than anybody expected. So uh, I would say once they get healthy, this should the season should look a little different. Yep. All right, so on tap for this week, we will do our usual mailbag coming up. Then Mike DeCourcy will be here for the Big Ten Roundup. No Basketball 201 this week, but Ben will be back next week. So Ryan is going to come back, and we will do an in-depth IU Duke preview. Ryan, did you see them play all three games out in Maui? I did, yeah. And, okay. Uh, they're impressive. Yeah. Say that. They're, <laughs> uh, they're impressive. 
So we will talk about that, what Indiana needs to do to win. All of that coming this week here on Banner Monday. Uh, before we hop into the mailbag, I do want to remind you real quick about the best way to shop online for great deals on IU basketball and football tickets. Just remember the URL, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, other sports tickets, concert tickets, and more. Get a brother, get some coupons. And as a bonus, you can use the promo code ASSEMBLY to get $10 off your first purchase. And by the way, when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, we actually get paid a commission for referring you, so it is a great way to support the show as well. Again, the URL is iutickets.shop. Thank you. All right, Ryan, let's uh, let's jump into this mailbag here. Um, we got... and I, I mean, uh, put out a call for questions inside of our IU basketball community. Um, so we got a lot of them. Uh, Leland asked us who guards Zion. Maybe we'll save that one uh, for the preview coming up. Um, Cause that's obviously, I, can, I mean, we can talk about it now. Why not? I mean, people are going to be wondering about that game. It's tomorrow. I mean, there's plenty to talk about in the preview, Jared. I think we should really dive in on Duke. I, okay. I really... So, who, all right. So who guards Zion? Nobody. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I remember, uh, Billis was on the air talking about Zion and, and somebody asked him, he's like, give me three words to describe him. And the three words were, Oh my God. Like it's, he's, he's on, he's, he's really unguardable in college. I really think he is. I think Indiana might be best served to go zone and pray that they can rebound. I, 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 I don't know. I think you're probably going to have to put Juwan Morgan on him, but maybe you have to start Duran Davis then because you got to put somebody on Marcus Bolden who's a seven footer who you know was the mvp of one of their games in maui I, I they're just so it's such it's such a puzzle how you stop one how you stop the other and luckily for gonzaga out in maui gonzaga had some size and had some really good veteran guards who were able to help stop what duke was doing but it was touch and go duke played his worst game of the tournament and still almost won so i i really don't know what they're gonna do you're playing at Cameron, so you've got to expect you're going to get in foul trouble. And then after Juwan Morgan, who guards him? I, I, like, I mean, there's just, I, I don't know. I don't know where it goes. But uh, I, I think you probably, if you're if you're really trying to win this game, I think Juwan Morgan on Zion has to be the first place you go because I, I don't see who else can guard him. Yeah, and you know we saw what happens to Indiana if Juwan Morgan gets in early foul trouble in that Arkansas game when he had to sit. I mean, so that's that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. But also, you know, Juwan is your All American candidate. You got to put your best guy on their best guy, and, and I guess take your chances. Yeah, I mean, who else could he guard? They're all good, you know, yeah. and they all could get him into foul trouble. It's it really is kind of it's it's a Rubik's cube. It is. I mean, you do one thing and it screws up something else. So for Indiana, especially hoping they're healthy and hoping guys, you know, if you have your full complement of players, maybe it's an easier problem, but we don't know who's going to play. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think that if I'm the coach and I'm really going out there trying to win this game and not trying, you know, stay close and make it look good. And I, I'm, I'm going all in and trying to win this game. I, I think you have to start what you want on, on uh, Zion Williamson. Well, there's a little preview of the IU Duke preview. Um, so we'll get to more of that uh, coming up here a little bit later. Uh, so this question comes from Scott. Um, in terms of the injured players, if you could have had one the entire time. So, and he's not saying Romeo, who's, you know, who was only injured for a few minutes after you know, hurting his nose right. in that one game. But Devontae, Ray, Zach McCarver, the guys who have been hurt. If you could have had one the whole time, who would that player be and why? Who would it have been? Zach McRoberts. 
uh, just because of his defense. Um, and, and he's a steadying influence. He, uh, he also allows a guy like Romeo maybe to slide to the wing more, you know, slide more down uh, it, where he can be a wing and a driver as opposed to hanging out on the perimeter as much as, as more of a shooting guard. I think that Zach can also do a bunch of things. He can step inside and guard somebody. He, you can switch him one through five. And he takes charges. He's just—he's a guy who, who defensively, particularly, mucks up the game for the opposition. And and the IU, I think, has needed that the last couple of games. And he can change momentum with by taking a charge, by getting a steal and a breakaway. Uh, and we've seen him shoot it better this year. So I, I just think that he's a steadying influence. I think that's what's been missing, as opposed to a guy like Devonte, who is a high ceiling scorer, uh, an aggressive defender, all that. But I feel like they've needed a steadying influence more than a high ceiling influence these last couple of games. Yeah, I mean, the argument for Devontae would be we are so thin with ball handlers. And we really saw that in the UT Arlington game, where by the end of the game, Rob Finnessy was literally the only ball handler available after Al and Romeo went out. Right. So, you know, I mean, true in truth, both of those guys serve really, really important functions on this team, and you need both of them. Um, well, Al Durham it, bringing the ball up against uh, Arkansas was something they never predicted at the beginning of the year, you know, against yeah. pressure, having him bring the ball up. I mean, that, that's putting him in a situation he wasn't supposed to be in. And it's, it sounds like both of those guys could play on Tuesday. Apparently, according to Archie Miller uh, earlier today, they did non-contact work yesterday. Whether they play or not on Tuesday at Duke is going to be based on how they practice today because I guess they're going to get a full practice in. We'll see how they do, how they respond to contact. So, look, fingers crossed. I mean, Indiana's going to need both of those guys because Zach McRoberts is a huge defensive weapon that you can put on someone like Cameron Reddish you know, and make life difficult on him um, or even just to harass R.J. Barrett as he constantly drives to the basket over and over again. So we'll have to wait and see on those two guys but it does sound like indiana is getting healthier um and that's obviously very very good news uh this question comes in from mark ryan he says are we worried about the wrong stats archie's teams at dayton were poor free throw shooting teams and also turned the ball over at a fairly high rate is it possible that archie's teams do not perform well in these areas because he does not prioritize them over other areas he feels are more important to winning so let me just give you a couple quick numbers here um in terms of free throw percentage um Archie's first year at Dayton, they shot 77.7%. That was second in the country. His second season at Dayton, they shot 71.7%. That was 103rd. Every year after that at Dayton, they were under 70%. 68.1, 68.6, 66.8, 69.3. That was 200 or below every season. You don't need me to tell you the numbers since he's been at Indiana. It does seem like there may be a little bit of validity there. as opposed, uh, uh, In terms of turnovers... Two of his last three teams at Dayton were actually in the top 100 in turnover rate, and three of the uh, his last four were in the top half of the country in terms of turnover rate. And last year, he took a team that had been terrible in turnover rate, and they were in the top half of the country. So I see what Mark is saying for free throw percentage because that the numbers certainly bear that out. I don't think the numbers necessarily bear it out for turnover percentage because um, some of his, like the worst turnover percentage that he had uh, was his second year at Dayton. So he's still kind of working with some of the players who had been left over. And obviously this year, it hasn't been good so far, but we'll have to see you know what it finishes out at. So also a ball, primary ball. Yeah, too, right. So. Right. So, so how concerned are you about those two areas? The turnover's not. I, I'm not. I, I think that he prioritizes that. I think that he's just, guys are put in an awkward situation where right now his primary ball handler is a true freshman and that's tough to work with uh, at times. And he's got a lot of young guys on the floor. Uh, Romeo, no matter how good he is, is still a freshman. He's going to turn the ball over. Uh, Devontae Green is not 
when he comes back is not known for protecting the ball extremely well, but he's a veteran and knows what to expect from defenders. So I think that there also, you had one game where Justin Smith turned it over like seven times or something. And and you're not going to see that often. Uh, So I'm not really concerned about the turn. The free throw shooting I am concerned about, and it is something that I don't know if Archie needs to hire somebody. Uh, I don't know. What would you call that? A, uh, A shot. Um, um, physician, engineer, engineer, physician. Yeah. Something along those lines to help these guys at the free throw line. Uh, we happen to know somebody who's available, uh, Fred call me. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, maybe he needs to make a call, but uh, for real, I think they do need to work on it. And a lot of times free throws are the players you bring in, whether they're good free throw shooters or not. But again, it is something you can tweak, modify, and work with. And, and it's something that Indiana definitely has to tweak, modify, and work with because the free throws they've missed uh, have been very costly. The irony of that, you know, how bad Archie's teams have been shooting free throws is that they consistently have high free throw rates. So they consistently get to the line. Like you look at his last three teams at Dayton, fourth in the country, 75th in the country, 10th in the country and free throw rate getting to the line. Last year, Indiana was good, 89th in the country. This year, they're in the top 100. So his teams are getting to the line and like cumulatively they're hitting a high quantity of free throws, but the the percentage just isn't there and they're leaving points on the floor and not being as efficient offensively as they could be. So it seems like with the way that he wants to play something that you would prioritize. So we'll have to see. Worth noting that Archie Miller shot 84.6% from the free throw line as a player. So he knows how to make free throws. He's got to teach his team to do it. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that, you know, comes more from adjustments and how they practice hiring a shot doctor, you know, recruiting guys who are better free throw shooters. We'll just have to see. But I, I agree with you. Um, um, that's starting to concern me a little bit, especially given the way that Archie wants to play. Uh, JD says, Ryan, what is the most interesting thing you learned about any of the Maui teams while you were out there? Uh, I learned, I, I didn't know that Rui Hachimura did not speak English when he was uh, grew, growing up. He's Gonzaga's star player. He looked uh, good. He, it looked fantastic. And he's a, he's Japanese. And I, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't know that he, you know, was, I, I figured he was Japanese American from here or whatever, but he's also a big part of the Japanese national team. Uh, and they are trying to qualify for the 2020 Olympics, which will be in Tokyo. So uh, I, I learned a little bit about him, which was interesting. And just Gonzaga in general, I mean, I knew they were a good team. Uh, missing Killian Tilly, I did not expect them to win that tournament. I expected them to play well, but they're missing their their top big man, like the guy that everybody looks at on that team, and everybody else stepped up and played really well. I could definitely see Gonzaga and Duke playing again in the tournament, maybe in the Final Four. Uh, that was a really fun game. And I, I, I mean... I also learned how important Duke's bench pieces are to that team because they're not particularly deep with, you know, veteran depth and, and those bench pieces. And we'll talk about it in the preview. Those bench pieces are going to be key to their run this year because the freshmen play like freshmen at times. They're so good that they can cover that up, but they play like freshmen at times. And uh, those, those bench guys are going to be really important. So you sent us that picture where you were around the table with coach K. Did you get any, any, any questions in? Did you have any one-on-one conversations? Did he threaten Coach, your media credentials? Coach K is a... Well, we'll save some of this for AC after dark, after uh, <laughs> some night. But 
Coach K is a master at saying a lot or like talking a lot and saying absolutely nothing. Uh, so I spent probably 20 minutes trying to get something out of him and did not uh, get much. But uh, I have an article coming out, the big lead about that sometime this week. And uh, we'll definitely promote that. I'm the sure. worst human being on the planet. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> not I mean, he's, in the, he's certainly in the running. Uh, <laughs> but no. Um. Okay, so Larry wants to know what's wrong with Race Thompson. Based on what we have heard, uh, Race is having concussion-like symptoms. I don't know if he has a concussion, but yeah, having yeah. some concussion-like symptoms at the least. So no real timetable there uh, on when he can return. Uh, you know, he seems like a guy that would be important in a game like this. You know, where you need some depth Very to go at Duke. So it's unfortunate size. that he won't be ready. Um, James says, best guess at who's going to be available. So again, Zach and Devontae will be game time decisions. Based on Archie's comments today, it sounds like Duran is still just kind of dealing with some pain, dealing with some soreness. I think he'll play, but I don't know that we'll see, you know, 23 minutes from Duran like we saw whatever game that was recently, uh, maybe UT Arlington. Um, no, no, Arkansas, where he played 23 minutes. Yeah, and you'll notice, you know, he hasn't really been the same since that game. He played really well, but that game seemed to kind of take a little bit out of him, and he's kind of been dealing with some soreness, you know, there. So those are the three guys that seem like question marks. Jerome Hunter obviously out. Race Thompson will be out, and we'll just have to wait and see uh, on those other guys. But Romeo, Al, um, you know, uh, other guys who have been dealing with injuries, they are also expected to be playing and essentially be fine. Um, and then we got this question, uh, Ryan. Predictions on overall results of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. How do you – I've got it game by game here. If you want to see it, I can send it to you. Um, but if not – Just read it off. Like, uh, okay. Do a couple of the big games because the, the minor ones nobody cares about. So just to give folks a quick recap, uh, overall the ACC is leading 12, 5, uh, t and 2. Uh, they won the first 10 <laughs> ACC Big Ten challenges. Uh, the next seven were the Big Ten winning or a tie, and the ACC has won the last two. The ACC dominated last year at 11-3. and three. So Monday night's games, you've got Nebraska at Clemson, Minnesota at Boston College. Do you have opinions on either of those? Uh, no, not really. I mean, okay. those are toss-ups for me, I think. Yeah, um, same for me. I, I, I just kind of sided with the home teams. You yeah, know, if it's a toss-up in college basketball, I tend to go with the home team. Uh, Tuesday night, we've got Penn State hosting Virginia Tech, Illinois at Notre Dame, Michigan State at Louisville, Wisconsin hosting NC State, Iowa hosting Pitt. Iowa is ranked like 13th or 14th right now. Who expected that? And then, of course, Indiana at Duke. Any in there that you want to take a stab at? Uh, well, I think Michigan State's going to win. Um, what were the other – wait, what, who is Iowa playing? Iowa is playing at home against Pitt. They should win that one. Okay, Iowa's going to win that. Uh, Wisconsin should beat NC State too, yeah, especially at home. Definitely be a win. Um, although Wisconsin, I don't think they've looked very good this year, but still at home they'll win that. Uh, let's face it, we know the Cold Center. We do. Carolina uh, North Carolina plays Wednesday at Michigan. I think Michigan's going to win that. I agree. Uh, I then North Carolina is going to be really good by the end of the year, but they're not there yet. Well, it happens, and that's something for Indiana fans to keep in mind. Yeah, you know? no, and I think Michigan is is playing very well right now. So yeah, those. I mean, those are the big ones. I think. Michigan yeah, State. I guess when I look at it, home teams. I mean, I think you know, for the most part, the home teams will win. Penn State hosting Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is really good. That's a game where Virginia Tech, you know, could and maybe should beat Penn State, even at Penn State. Uh, Notre Dame should beat Illinois. 
yeah. you would think, just you know, kind of based on uh, looking at it. Uh, you know, the other one is Michigan State's playing at Louisville. I think we both think Michigan State will win that game. Um, and then Merritt is. Nick Ward's been playing really well, and you need a big man on the road to play well, and and I think that he'll get that. Yeah, Maryland is hosting Virginia, so you know, being at home that'll help Maryland. But I think you know Virginia is kind of the will be the popular pick there, um, and then Purdue at Florida State. That's kind of a toss up game. Both those teams are really good. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, <laughs> we'll see at fifty fifty. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, I feel like the ACC is a little better this year, but I feel like at the top right now, other than Duke. I think that, uh, and maybe Virginia, I feel like at the top, the Big Ten might have the better overall uh, team. The team's performing better right now as far as at the top. But, uh, I mean, ACC is always so good, and they always wind up being so good. Even if it looks like a down year, by the end of the year, they get so much talent in that conference that they wind up being good. So, yeah. It'd be a rough one for the Big Ten again. Well, speaking of that challenge, we'll talk about it here coming up with Mike DeCourcy. You're going to go step away for a minute, and then you'll come back and join us after that? Will do. Okay. All righty. Coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for a Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. He will discuss his impressions of IU's two wins from the past week, and we'll look ahead to the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference, and there's no one better to provide insight on Big Ten basketball than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. I'm I'm especially useful today, Jared, because (laughs) I talk too much most of the time. And now I can save your precious voice. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to get out of the way. I'm just going to move. <laughs> I sent you over the questions earlier that I wanted to discuss. So, Mike, take it away. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, but let's start with this. So, let, let's talk first about Indiana, your impressions of Indiana's week. Uh, you know, the Hoosiers had two double-digit victories, both over sub-200 opponents, and both a little bit too close for comfort for IU fans. What did you think of the Hoosiers this week? I think a couple things need to be taken uh, into that discussion. And first of all, I think, you, although UC Davis, I would not put this in, in that category. Uh, UT Arlington has been a pretty good program over the last five years. And uh, you're talking about a team that won 21 games a year ago and has been uh, reasonably proficient in their conference top four in the Southland, which has produced some very good basketball teams over the last, again, over that last period, Stephen F. Austin has had some really good teams in that period. So um, d- playing them close, I don't think is a matter of great concern. I, I think the the thing that's a concern is that you had to play that play th- those games essentially with five man outfits. I mean, you Jawan Morgan played forty minutes in one of those games. Uh, I think yeah. it was the the Davis game. Um, so that's concerning. But you, given that none of the injuries to date is a is a long term deal is a, oh gosh, you know, we're not going to see him till February or maybe he's going to redshirt deal. Except for um, Jerome Hunter, except for Hunter. Yeah, except for Jerome Hunter, who I, honestly I did not expect to be a, a huge factor in the rotation anyway. So uh, from that standpoint, I think you're in good shape. Uh, they'll be back, your rotation will deepen, and you wouldn't expect guys to get worn out a little bit. 
Uh, I think the good news out of all that is Jawan Morgan uh, playing like a star, which is what he needs to be for this team to be special. It, 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 I still believe that their best version is him as the first option. Now, that doesn't necessarily always mean you're going to be the leading scorer, but if, you, if, if things run through him and then they filter off to the other players, to, to Romeo, et cetera, uh, then you have a better team because he is a very difficult player to defend at his best. Can can shoot the basketball from deep. We saw him hit five three pointers uh, in one of the games. Uh, you, he could put the basketball on the floor and get fouled. He's a good passer. So when he's at his best, I think Indiana is at at their best. So that's a great sign for them for him to play well in both those games. Uh, at, going forward, I think you'll see a better Indiana team. I, I, I think the one thing, in addition to the to the um, having to play so many minutes that came out of those two games that was concerning, was Deron Davis uh, having some tightness in his Achilles, uh, some pain or whatever it is exactly, yeah. and only being able to play six minutes combined in those two games. That's that's not a good sign because uh, again, your best version of Indiana is Jawan as the first option, and then Deron when he comes in, either sometimes maybe together against certain opponents but when he comes in to replace Juwan, it completely changes who you are and that's good because it it forces teams to deal with you differently so let's look ahead now indiana playing duke we know that the assumption is that duke is going to win this game that's what you know i think their favorite i saw by 13 and a half points what to you are the one or two biggest keys for indiana to make this a competitive 40 minute game i think the first thing they have to do is they have to play off offense well. It, I, I have a friend who's a, I wrote about this when Gonzaga made the title game a few years ago. I have a, kind of a Gonzaga pen pal, so to speak. He emails me, uh, keeps me up to date with what's going on with uh, the Zags. Uh, and he asked me before the game, what does Gonzaga have to do uh, to deal with Duke? And I said, the first thing they have to do is they have to make baskets. And the second thing that they have to do is they have to make shots. And those are not, you know, they're not exactly the same. I mean, what I meant by the first was they have to score a lot of points and they ended up scoring over 90. And the other thing they had to do was they had to make threes uh, because at that point they were not, they were not shooting the basketball well for the most part. And they did in that game as well. And I think those two keys as well stand for Indiana. Indiana has maybe not had as much trouble making baskets at, you know, at this point, but they're going to, they're going to be in a difficult environment. Uh, they're going to be against a team that's very talented and, and, and that's going to, affect how they play so they they certainly have been on the road before that's a good sign but they're going to have to be very effective on offense and then I think the second thing that has to happen is uh they they can't they have to find a matchup for RJ Barrett somebody has to be able to at least figure out a way to keep him out of the lane because if he's going downhill all night Jawan's going to be back there and, and and going to be sort of forced to have to contend with being a help defender a lot. Uh, and I think that that's really problematic. You know, when people look at Duke, they see Zion Williamson and they start to quake because there's just nobody like him. But the guy who makes them really difficult to deal with is R.J. Barrett. I I'm telling you, I have never seen a young wing player who is as good at getting the into the lane and uh, in one-on-one -on -one situations as R.J. Barrett. I mean, I've seen guys with, more varied games, more dynamic games, better shooters, blah, blah, blah. But just this one particular skill 
the ability to look a defender in the eye and get him off balance and get into his body and get by him and finish the play. He is extraordinary. And so I don't know who the ideal matchup for that is. Well, I can tell you who most Indiana fans were thinking as soon as you said that was Zach McRoberts. I mean, now we don't even know if he's going to play yet, but is this a case where as good, of, as good of a defender as Zach is and as fundamentally sound and as hard as he plays, is R.J. Barrett just too good of an athlete for a guy like Zach to consistently defend, or would he have a shot against him? No, I think he would. I, I think that Zach knows how to play defense. He's really, he's really a, a sharp player, knows, knows angles. It's, there, now, there may be, like, if you say to yourself, the first thing you have to do against R.J. Barrett is you have to keep him out of the lane. And that's, and that's universally true, even at the expense of maybe giving up a three early or two. Um, you have to keep him out of the lane. So that maybe, you know, Zach would understand not to get right up in his grill necessarily and, 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 get, and, you, and allow R.J. to get him off balance and to use his physicality. He's really crafty. R.J. Barrett at using his body and and using his body weight against your body weight so that he gets a physical advantage if you get too close to him. And so that's and, and of course, at home, he's going to get the advantage as well, for the most part, with the whistle. So you have to be able to measure that. And I think Zach would give them a chance there. And it, look, it, when when. R.J. Barrett went up against the USA U19 team, which uh, Romeo was a member of, but I think by then he was kind of injured, not playing very much. When, when he went up against them in the semifinals of the U19 World Championships, John Calipari tried like seven different guys, and he blew them all up. And, and when you watch the Kentucky game, it was kind of similar. They tried a lot of different guys, and he blew them all up. So one of the first things you have to do is not let him get going to where he believes that every time he touches the ball, he's going he's gonna to lay it in. And so you have, to, you have to deny him the ball in the places where he wants it, particularly at the top of the key. Uh, you have to make sure that when he does get it there, that he doesn't have an obvious angle to the rim. So sometimes maybe you have to cheat off on, on, on ball side and just make, make him aware of that. And so there are a lot of different areas in which you have to contain R.J. Barrett. And you could do all those things and he can still beat you. But you, if you, if you allow him access to the lane at, at will, then your chances of winning are almost nil. All right. So let's talk <clears throat> big 10 here and let's start with your power rankings. What is your current top four and where does Indiana currently stand and what has become a, uh, a very competitive pecking order very early <laughs> here in the season? Well, you know, I, I, I I'm going to, since it's my segment, I'm going to cheat. Um, and I'm going to rank five and, and tie the last one for fourth because it's really hard to separate them. And, and it, it, this is a great sign for the conference uh, as they go into league play this weekend. I mean, if they can get through the ACC Big Ten Challenge somewhere near 500 in those games, they're, they're just in fantastic shape because it, they didn't come out of, um, out of the, the multi-team tournaments exactly where they wanted to be, but they came out in very good shape. Uh, and you've got, you've got multiple teams with high major victories, uh, and, and a lot with high major victories that are away from home. Uh, so I started with Michigan, uh, you know, still playing great basketball and that Villanova win, although it's not what it was the day they got it. Uh, it's still an important win. Iowa, uh, big time wins, uh, in, in neutral court environment. Um, you could make a case for other teams, but I'll stick with them as long as they're playing this well. 
I think Michigan State, even though they're not undefeated, they, they did lose to one of the best teams in the country in Kansas. And then they went out and beat a couple of the teams that you should that should be among the best in the country uh, out in Vegas and, and won their tournament uh, over the holiday. And so the fourth place I tied between Ohio State and Minnesota. Minnesota has three high major wins, uh, including a couple that are away from home. And Ohio State has two high major road wins and Cincinnati and Creighton. So I could have probably leaned toward one or the other. But since I have the luxury, I figured I'd tie them. I'd say Indiana is in the ballpark uh, of that. But uh, missing the Arkansas win would keep them from making the list. But, I mean, I think they're in great shape. And I think the league is in great shape. And uh, Indiana will be in really great shape when they have eight or nine healthy players rather than five or six can't wait for that to happen uh, <laughs> what uh what players or teams really caught your eye this week in particular well, i think uh in particular uh, amir coffee uh minnesota is for the most part playing amir coffee as their initiator you want to call him point guard and i think that sometimes people maybe don't understand the uh the different ways you can use a, a player to initiate offense i mean not every team has to have I use I use Chris Paul as the as the as the uh, I, let's say let's call him Yogi Ferrell, though, for the purpose of there our audience. <laughs> um, Yogi, Yogi, you know, Yogi initiated by the time he, he was at the end of his career. The ball was in his hands all the time. The, the game belonged to him. He was either going to score it or pass it for the most part. And everything derived from him. And that's great if you've got a guy like that. Um, and in, in Minnesota's case, they don't have anybody even remotely like that. So they are using Amir Coffee to initiate offense. And the, what's, what's been a positive, look, he's not averaging big assist numbers because they're not running stuff that says Amir Coffee has to make the winning pass for us to score. They're running stuff that emphasizes ball movement and, uh, and just getting the ball to the open shooter. And what's important about that in the case of Minnesota is it's not diminishing Amir Coffee's ability to score. They don't, they can, they don't have the luxury of taking him and making him a distributor first. They need him to score, and he is scoring. He's not scoring at a high, high level, but he's scoring at a significant level, so they were able to win big games with that. The other player who I would say was really really had an important Thanksgiving week was Josh Lankford oh. at Michigan State, uh, a guy who in the first half of the Kansas game was about as involved in the offense as I was sitting on the – mezzanine at <laughs> Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I didn't get a chance after the game, but I am absolutely certain that he got reamed for not being aggressive offensively because every game he's played since, he has had the offense on full blast. And there have been a couple of games where he didn't shoot a bunch because, it was, because of the nature of the opposition. But in, in Vegas, for the most part, when he needed to be aggressive, he really was. He had 29 points in the championship game against Texas, and they needed them because they started so poorly. And that's the that's the guy that he needs to be all the time. This is a this is a really talented guy. This is a guy who was a top 20 player in a class that produced 16 one and dones, maybe the deepest class wow. in the one and done era. And he was right in that mix in terms of the ratings. If you go back. Um, but he, you know, he he's really struggled to find his footing, not in terms of his ability, but in terms of his belief in it's okay for me to shoot the basketball. I, I get I get in arguments with 
uh, with different people. And Tom Izzo in particular drives me crazy with this because he says to his guys sometimes, you need to be more selfish. I hate that word because selfish is always bad, but aggressive is usually good. And if your job is to score points for your team, whether you're Romeo Langford or Jawan, as we said before, or in this case, Josh Langford, if your job is to score points, it is not selfish to take open shots. It's selfish to not take open shots. So he doesn't need to be more selfish. He needs to be aggressive in the way that he was in that Texas game. I agree with the semantic argument that you're making there. I like that. I like that because you're right. Selfish is bad, but aggressive is fine and you have to be and some guys especially given your you know we had this conversation actually on the post game show let me get your thoughts on it about Juwan Morgan kind of in this realm where he likes to come out at the start of games and kind of feel his way through it and he's not very assertive and Indiana struggled a little bit to get off to good starts you know uh, coach and I we both thought he needs to be a little bit more aggressive at the start of games you know yeah Maybe if, if Indiana had kind of, you know, better offensive guys or if Romeo Langford was more aggressive right off the bat, then Juwan could kind of ease into it. He doesn't have that luxury with some of the other guys. So kind of the same thing. Don't be selfish. You're not out there to get yours at the expense of others. But sometimes the context means, look, we lean on you for offense. We need to follow your lead. So you got to be aggressive to lead. Would you say it, it, it kind of it applies there, too? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think in particular in his position. Because if you come out aggressive in as a, as a player who is uh, who is a four, uh, you know a power forward skill wise, but most of the time is playing as a five man, and so you're often being guarded by centers that have to contend with your your, your suddenness, your ability to to burst quickly, and early in games you maybe aren't quite ready to play, and you reach. I mean, Jawan ran into that in Arkansas. Uh, when he got into foul trouble, if you come out and you play aggressively from the jump as, as the player in his position, you might get a couple of cheap ones against the other team's big guy and force him to the bench in the way that you were forced at Arkansas. And that was a case where Arkansas's big guys, Daniel Gafford, he really came after him. And, and his, that, you know, honestly, to me, that was a revelation, Gafford's offensive ability in that game. A year ago, he was not that guy. And I don't think Juwan was ready for it. And he fouled a couple times and he ended up not being able to play much in the first half. And it had a big effect on that game. Yeah, it did. All right. Big 10 ACC challenge coming up. Uh, we talked a little bit about IU Duke. What are the other matchups that you will be watching the closest? Well, you know, I think that it, from the Big 10 standpoint, uh, there are games that they have to have. I, I think that with Michigan playing the well, the way they are and being at home and they get a really a prime opportunity against a, a Carolina team that's very talented and very capable, but you're at home, your, your crowd should be pretty jacked. You know, I think that's an opportunity that, that the Big Ten needs to take advantage of. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, Michigan State, uh, Louisville is, has played pretty well for a team that's in its first year under a new coach and that lost a lot of key players and is basically developing, not freshmen for the most part, but uh, sophomores who are either marginal contributors or secondary contributors a year ago, uh, you're, they're playing pretty well, but you're, this is one of the Big Ten's best teams going in there. So that would be kind of the kind of game that they need to have as a conference. Then there are the games that would be good to get. Uh, Minnesota at Boston College, if they could keep their role going and make sure that they don't lose to a team for which uh, there aren't great expectations. 
you know, Boston College had kept a couple of their guys that went pro. Uh, BC might be a team that is among the favored teams in the in the in the ACC. They're not. Um, Ohio State against Syracuse at home uh, for the Buckeyes. Ohio State playing very well. Syracuse did not play. is a much better team than they showed in New York uh, in the in the games they lost. But uh, with that being the case, you're at home. You kind of need that. And then uh, I, I don't think you have to have Maryland against Virginia. But by that that would be an enormous feather for the Big Ten. Uh, it's Maryland playing at home, very young. It's going to be a lot different for them in that game than probably any game they play this season. Yeah. But if they could find a way to tilt it in their direction, again, that would be another big one for the for the Big Ten. What's your what's your gut feeling about which conference comes out on top? Oh, my gut feeling is that the matchups favor the ACC as they did a year ago. It was it, they favored the ACC a year ago, and and I remember saying, you know, the ACC didn't need the help uh, because the ACC was a better and deeper league than the Big Ten a year ago. It's not this year. Uh, it probably is stronger at the top with Duke and Virginia and Carolina matched up against you know whichever three you think are the best. For, let's say Michigan, Michigan State, uh, and then whoever the third best is. I think that the ACC has an advantage there. But uh, I think if you look at the matchups and you break it down, they favor the, the, the ACC. So if the Big Ten could just, you know, if they could get somewhere near 500, uh, I think that they'd be in, if they could get to six and eight, I think that would really help the league with everything they've accomplished to date, uh, you know, with what they still have out there. I think that that would be a significant performance. If they were able to overcome, over overperform that, uh, I think anything 500 or better is stellar. All right. Follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Mike DeCourcy, thank you as always for joining us on Banner Monday. Thank you. All righty. Well, coming up, it is time for our deep dive into IU Duke. Ryan saw them play in Maui. He has a lot of thoughts on their personnel, what Indiana will need to do to compete in this game. So he will be rejoining us. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our final segment, we dedicate it to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. And, of course, we jumped ahead to this as our final segment because Ben Ladner, um, not with us this week, he'll be back next week with another edition of Basketball 201. Uh, but we'll spend a little bit more time this week talking about Indiana's upcoming opponent, which is Duke. And back with us is Ryan Phillips, who saw Duke play out in Maui. You know, <clears throat> I guess... Let's start off with kind of a macro question about this game, Ryan, because, look, the expectation is that Duke's going to win. Obviously, kind of the veneer of invincibility is gone because we've seen them lose. Now, it should be noted that Gonzaga might be the best team in the country. <laughs> and, you know, Kansas for number one. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like just anybody beat them. You know, they 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 played a good game. Gonzaga just happened to play better. They beat them. But I think it is nice to at least have seen them lose. And, you know, Indiana comes in a little bit walking wounded. We're all a little bit concerned about what we've seen over the last three games. So are you expecting this to just be a Duke blowout, kind of like when we went up there in 2016 and we're totally non-competitive? Or do you think this is a game where, look, the, 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 the deck is stacked against Indiana. They're probably going to lose. But they're going to go up there and play well, and they can compete on the same court with Duke. Or is it? are they just at two different levels? 
they have to play hard to have a chance and, and they have to hit threes. They have to, you know, because Duke's got way more size than Indiana does. I mean, you look at RJ Barrett, who's likely to be the number one pick in the draft is six foot seven. And he plays like a guard. I mean, you can tell he's modeled his game after someone like James Harden. Uh, then you got Cam Reddish. Who's the other guard who's six, eight. And then you got Zion who's six, seven, two eighty five. I mean, they just, and then, and then, you know, guy, nobody talks about Marcus Bolden, six eleven center. I mean, they have size, they have length, even their bench guys uh, like uh, uh, Javin Delorier is 6'10", uh, Alex uh, O'Connell, who's a, who's a wing, is 6'6". I mean, they're just, they're huge. They're huge guys. And the guy who's forgotten is Trey Jones, who's a 6'2 point guard, who played really well out in Maui. I mean, it's, and, but he was like the 13th recruit in the country. And it's like, oh, well, uh, 13th. I mean, they got three of the top four or the top three or whatever. Uh, and Trey Jones gets forgotten and he was fantastic out in Maui. So they just come at you in waves. And, and even when they struggle, and they struggled at times against Auburn when they wound up beating Auburn, but they just always kind of turn it on when they need to it reminds me of how to like you know the warriors will struggle with the team for a while and i'm not comparing duke to the warriors but just bear with me but you know they struggle at times with teams and then when they need to turn on they turn it on and they they blow them out and that happened against gonzaga they were down about 15 against gonzaga at one point and within the blink of an eye it was a two, it was a one possession game and so they really can turn it on and these guys are really really good and i'm loath to like praise a duke team uh but they're really good and they're tough to beat and a guy who also is is another guy who is really important for them is uh jack white uh is a uh is a is a he's an australian six seven shooter off the wing so uh they just they they just have these guys who come in waves and and it's really tough to beat and i think guys like jack white and o'connell and delorier and Bolden will be just as important as those freshmen to what Duke does this year, because if those freshmen have an off game, those guys need to step up and they all do things that can help you win. So were you listening to Mike DeCourcy talk about the the keys to beating Duke for Indiana? I, di- I didn't hear the whole thing, but I heard some of it. What, what, what did he So, bring? you know, his, his main thing was about basically containing RJ Barrett and just not letting RJ Barrett go nuts driving into the lane. And, you know, what I found interesting about that, I mean, look, all these guys are tough and it's, it's kind of pick your poison because it's like, well, yeah, let's take away R.J. Barrett. Great. Now you've got Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish and Trey Jones and all these other guys. So like so we get that. You know, I thought that was interesting because to me, you watch the end of that Gonzaga game and sometimes R.J. Barrett just gets tunnel vision with his driving. You know, he yeah. didn't kick it out to Cam Reddish. And, you know, as we've heard, you know, he's missed more sh- or I think Zion Williamson has has taken one more shot than Cam Reddish has missed or something like that or uh, that uh, uh, Barrett has missed. So he's taking a lot of shots and not being particularly efficient. He's playing like a freshman at times. He really is. But he's the most talented freshman in the country. Yeah. He's just playing like when he's playing like a guy who got whatever he wanted in high school, had it really easy and is playing that way. And, and so you're right. And, but the way to, to beat that is to keep them. I, I did hear, uh, you know, I was talking to SDSU, San Diego state's coach, Brian Dutcher and San Diego state played Duke in the first round. And I, and I asked him, well, how do you stop a guy like Zion Williamson who just, you know, at that point he had, I forget what it was, but it's like he had only missed like four shots or five shots all season. Or, you know, it was some weird statistic that he, he barely missed any shots from inside the three-point line. 
And I asked him, well, how do you stop him? Like, how do you take? He's like, well, you got to make him a jump shooter. I was like, well, yeah, good luck. I mean, that guy can get anywhere he wants on the floor because he's 285 pounds and he's strong. It's not a bad 285 pounds, which is really hard to describe to people until you see him in person. He's like a block of granite. It is it, like he's not perfectly you know, sculpted or whatever, but it's all strength. And the guy is basically a left tackle who has a 48 inch vertical and dancers feet. It's impossible to like, it doesn't make sense in your brain when you're breaking down like what he can do until you've seen it up close and watched it repeatedly. It really is. There's a reason why there's so much hype around Zion. And it's because it really is incredible to watch what he can do. There were two dunks. He almost threw down in Maui uh, that uh, he got fouled on both of them. But he was going to throw. It wasn't like one of those where he was going to slam it off the rim. Like these were both going down. And I think the tournament would have just ended right there. Like it was just, you know, everybody in the crowd was buzzing about missed dunks for like five minutes afterwards. It's you don't see that at high level college basketball very often. We saw it with Victor Oladipo a couple times at Indiana. It, it, there's and and it, you know, imagine that like those level dunks coming from a guy who's built like a left tackle. I mean. It, it doesn't make sense. And so he's just so hard to plan for. But then, as you said, you've got Barrett, who is amazing at getting to the rim, whether he makes or misses, he's amazing at slithering his way into the rim and getting the ball up there. He had a dunk against Gonzaga that was just unbelievable, uh, left-handed dunk. I mean, he's left-handed, but he went up and just dunked over half the team. Um, and that was a game where he didn't play particularly well for most of it, but still, late in the game when they needed him, he helped bring them back. Reddish is probably the best shooter of the three uh, guys. He's a little, uh, he's smoother, I think, than the other two, but he's a little less, uh, his ceiling isn't as high. I still think that the thing is today, if you ask me who the top four picks in the NBA draft are going to be, I got RJ Barrett, number one, probably Nasir Little from North Carolina at number two. Then I think Reddish is going to go number three, and I think Zion will go after that, maybe four or five. Just the the re only reason Zion will fall down is because of the fit in the NBA. It's kind of hard to figure out what to do with him in the NBA. And I asked uh, Billis about that when I was interviewing him and I said, so what is Zion Williamson in the NBA? And he said, he's whatever he wants to be is, is the answer. He can do whatever he wants. And um, so again, overwhelming talent. And this isn't a problem that IU was going to face against Duke. It's a problem everybody's going to face against Duke. So how to game plan them. And, and the fact that I use getting them in November instead of like February, where maybe some teams have taken a run, taken a run at them with different styles to try and defend them and stuff. And you can kind of look at the film and, and decide what, you know, how you want to attack them. I mean, everybody's still trying to figure it out. And it's not like Gonzaga did something, you know, monumental or, or shocking against them. They just guarded them straight up and had enough depth and size to hang with them and Duke missed shots. Gonzaga didn't. And also Gonzaga, excuse me, Gonzaga had veteran guards and that was huge. So, you know, look, if Indiana is going to make this a 40 minute game, everybody who plays is going to have to play. Well, we know that, yes. you know, Rob Finnessy is going to essentially have to play Trey Jones to a draw, but you know, be interesting to see if he's up to that. We talked about Juwan Morgan. There are two guys in particular who I think are going to be absolutely huge. And I want to get your thoughts on them. 
One is clearly Romeo Langford. Like he has to play like a star for Indiana to have a chance. I think he'll certainly will see more intensity from Romeo than we've seen the last few games. Yeah. But but I think, you know, the temptation will also be there to really be looking for his offense, really be aggressive. Oh, really? And and I think he'll need to be. So he's gonna have to be an efficient scorer and make his outside shots. The other guy is Justin Smith, who has been just crazy inconsistent this year. Um, and really, you know, for the in, you know for the most part, it's it's bad and consistent. We, we we haven't really seen great Justin Smith yet. Um, you know, it was nice to see him hit that three at the end of the UC Davis game, but he was all over the place that game too. And I feel like in a game like this, where there's athletes all over the floor, your athletes are going to have to play really well. And Justin Smith is clearly, you know, he's the second best athlete on the team after Romeo. So I think those two guys are absolutely huge. How do you see them fitting into this game? Well, I think you're going to have to have Justin Smith on Cam Reddish, probably. Uh, and I think that you're probably going to get Romeo, the dream matchup of Romeo and RJ Barrett. I, th- I think you have to do that. And, oh, and it's tough. And you might switch those two. I mean, you you know, because they're both so big, you know, uh, Barrett and, and Reddish. Um, if you put Reddish, if you put Romeo on Reddish, you probably keep him out of foul trouble. But you also risk Justin Smith not sticking with R.J. Barrett. But I think that one of, Justin Smith has to guard one of those two guys because of their size. And what, what about what about McRoberts? If he's well, healthy if enough McRoberts, to play, I'm assuming I'm not sure McRoberts is going to be back. So I'm, I'm and he, even if he is, he probably can't play more than 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. You would think. So I I mean I'm just going with who, you know the the matchups we've got, you know, and, and then look other than Deron Davis, I'm not sure anybody can guard Marcus Bolden. Uh, down there and and Bolden isn't a great offensive player but you have to account for him that's that's the thing is because they'll just throw lobs to him all game I I mean so you have to have somebody in there maybe you get Clifton Moore off the bench with his length to 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 do something I mean you've got to use what you've got and 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 Clifton Moore is certainly somebody who can be uh deployed effectively there uh we'll, we'll see but he, can, but he can be deployed. We well, have yet to see if he can be deployed effectively there. Deployed in that way, I guess. I yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the biggest issue for me. is isn't going to be athleticism. It isn't going to be playing at Cameron. It's not going to be the crowd, the officiating, Coach K, whatever. The biggest thing for me is going to be the size. And, and Duke is shockingly big. They really are. You, they walk into the arena and you're just like, okay. You know, I mean, I, I was there watching top, college basketball teams all week arizona was there they've got a ton of talent uh they're not they're not as good as last year but they've got a ton of talent auburn was there they're a top 10 team you've got gonzaga there you've got whoever when duke walked in the arena it looked like something else like you know it looked like the other teams were triple a and this was the major leagues it it, it just they look different they're bigger they're stronger they're you know the the length everything is there and so that's what for me, for Indiana, that's what I struggle with seeing them beating is that size. I mean, when Romeo drives into the lane, he's going to be surrounded by bigger guys than he's ever been surrounded by. And when Juwan Morgan posts up, the help's going to come, and it's going to be from guys who are bigger than he's ever had help from, and they're athletic enough to recover to their guys. So that's where I struggle seeing Indiana have success is just against that size and length. Uh We'll obviously see the key. You have to get off to a fast start. If you get down 15 to Duke, you're buried because if they run, I mean, you you have to bog them down in half court offense because they're new, just like every other team 
in the country, they're new at running whatever they're running. I mean, it's still November for them too. So you have to bog them down in half-court offense. You have to get back defensively. And then you just have to muck things up in their half-court. That's the only way to stop them is just to get back on defense and slow it down. Take your advantage, take your opportunities in transition when you can get them, but you don't want to get into an up and down game with them. And you've got to run your stuff on offense perfectly. Hope for some fouls, hope to get to the line, and then you got to make your free throws with this team, which this team hasn't done. So there's just so much stacked against Indiana in this one. I think it's a a game where they're gonna lose. I don't think they're I, I think they're gonna play okay. Um, but you know, it's just such a tough task to ask this team who's got some injuries, who's really struggled the last couple games missing guys, and to ask them to go down into maybe the toughest environment in college basketball and come away with a win is asking way too much of them, particularly given how young this team is and how young these guys are uh, that we're going to be relying a lot on. So it's it's one of those things where I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a loss. And I don't think fans should overreact to it. I think you should start reacting to how this team is playing at the end of December. And and, and so they're still trying to figure it out. But yeah, this is going to be a rough one. I, I think this is going to be a tough one. Too. So, okay. So l- let me ask you a philosophical question, because this is easy for us to say from a thousand miles away looking at it. But, you know, the team, the coaches, they are in the trenches about to play a game that they have to go up there and believe they can win. Like Archie said, you know, you know, we're going up there to win the game. He didn't say oh, it's that exactly. Against the world. That's what the mentality has to yeah. be. Okay. But, but let me ask you this, knowing that. So do you pull out all the stops to win this game? Meaning this, right? Indiana wants to play fast. Their current uh, average possession length is 15.5 seconds, which is the 38th fastest in the country. They want to play fast. Would you slow that down, even though it's what you don't normally do? Defensively, would you consider playing zone, even though you really want to be a pack line man-to-man team and that's what you want to play? Would you do some things that are out of character going all out to win this game, or would you prefer to see Indiana, or would you, if you were Archie Miller, say, you know what, we're going to do what we do, and we're going to go up there and try and win that way because you think it'll help develop the team for the future, working on your stuff in this kind of environment against this kind of team? I almost see this as a game that's like apart from the schedule. Like it's just kind of a one-off. So yeah, if you want to go out and win it and do whatever and shock them and surprise them with different looks, do it. I I, I don't care because this is a different type of thing that you're going to face all year because of that level of talent, because of that size. You may have to go zone to protect your players from getting into foul trouble. You may have to, you know, play ridiculously fast and then slow it down again to get a win here and, and you're going to have to play different to, to get a win. So I, I do think that when you look at what Indiana does normally, it doesn't match up well with what Duke does. Cause Duke wants you to play that way. Duke wants you to isolate guys one-on-one with their talent. Duke wants you to play fast because then they can play fast. So, and, and the whole thing with Duke is, as we know, they get out in transition, they get to the bucket. Then you're starting to pay attention a guy's getting to the rim, pay attention, guys getting to the rim, and they kick it out for those threes and knock down threes. Guys, again, like Jack Wright, uh, Jack White, Alex O'Connell, I mean, those guys can all hit it from the outside, and they're the guys you forget about because you're so focused on the other guys. So it, it's, yeah, it's a real, I mean, it's a tough, it, it's, like I said, it's a Rubik's Cube, and it's tough to figure out. It's not something that comes naturally, and it's not like there's an easy answer Make them a half-court team. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. Make Zion Williamson a jump shooter. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, do that. 
I mean, it, like it's just things that are so difficult. And, and um, I just, I think it's right now where this team's at, how young it is and how it's struggling with injuries and how it's struggled the last couple of games. I just don't see the recipe for beating them. I hope I'm completely wrong and I hope I get shocked tomorrow. Um, maybe Duke's complacent, but I, I just don't feel like that's, there's really that possibility. I hope I totally hope I'm wrong and I will be rooting super hard for the Hoosiers, but it's just hard for me to see the way that this team of this current, excuse me, this current makeup figures it out. This has been a very depressing segment. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Trust me. I was sitting there watching Duke in Maui trying to be like, okay, well maybe if they do this, Oh, nope, that's not going to work. Maybe if they do that, no, not going to work. I mean, it's, it's, they're tough, man. They're a puzzle to solve, and somebody's going to solve it this year. I don't know if well, Gonzaga, is- Gonzaga already solved it. I mean, they did, but it, you know, you've also got to factor in the fact that Duke didn't shoot it well. Duke didn't do this, you know, and Gonzaga, everything went right for Gonzaga in that game, and they still only won by two and had a chance to lose it at the end. I mean, it's that Gonzaga basically played a mostly perfect game and almost lost. And, and, you know, Gonzaga is also missing their, their big man, as I mentioned, Killian Tilly. So maybe it, it, down the road, if they fought, if they played them, it would be a different story. They, they have much more dominance in that game, but my goodness, they played a perfect game and Duke still almost beat them. All right. So last question for you then, obviously, you know, if Indiana goes out, loses to Duke, as we've said, that's not going to be cause for concern or the sky is falling. What would make you come on the post game show and be really concerned? Um, it's less about the score. It's more about guys looking like they've given up or dejected. I want to see guys, guys play hard and I want to see guys. It doesn't, if you're down 25, I want to see guys cutting. I want to see them attacking and working on stuff at that point. If you're down 20 at Cameron, work on your half court offense, you know, work on, you know, solidifying the pack line, work on getting the ball in the post, kicking it out, looking for open guys, you know, moving the ball. That's what I want to see. If it's just if it gets if you get down twenty five and guys are just gunning and and running and 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 you know trying to get their own shots and and firing up yeah. quick threes and stuff like that, I don't want to see that. I want to see guys. If you get down, run your stuff and and hopefully that you know you can chip away at a lead and maybe look at make it look a little more respectable. Yeah, basically, just don't look like the twenty sixteen game. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, where you've just given up by halftime and and I want to see guys look like they're involved and engaged and regardless of the score. This is not going to surprise longtime listeners, but I am not as pessimistic about this game as you are. I, I'm not picking Indiana to win. Um, we only have one person on this show crazy enough to do that. We're beating Duke. Um, <laughs> it's Coach. Um, although he, in his fairness to him, he said that before he saw Duke play, and I think he yeah. is. I think he is uh, quickly backpedaled on that statement. Um, I don't like. Like, I don't think the result is a foregone conclusion. I mean, I think. I think the thing is like. Yes, Duke is favored. Yes, Duke is probably going to win. Yeah, we're going to have to play really, really well to make this a 40-minute game. But I think, you know, it's important to remember, like, Duke has dudes, but we have some dudes too, you know? I mean, we've got two of the five best players on the floor. I guess maybe two of the six best players on the floor, depending on where you think Trey Jones is. Um, And I think those guys are going to be able to do some things. And if we can get some contributions from, you know, some of the other guys and, and really, and just come out like you said. I mean, I think the key is, we are just going to have to play unusually hard, just really come out, you know, take the punches that they're going to give us. And if we do that, then maybe we can make this a 40 minute game. Um, I, you seem more resigned to it potentially being a blowout. I'm not quite at that point yet. Um, 
But either way, it's going to be it's going to be a really difficult game, and we need to stop the show soon because I'm going to open my mouth and words just are going to stop coming out. <laughs> rest up. I can, I, can, up. I can feel it going right now. Um, rest up. Yeah, I uh, I will rest up. I'm not even going to do the closing comments because I'm not going to make you suffer through me uh, doing all those. Um, so yeah, so we will talk to you guys after the game. <clears throat> Hopefully. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll at least be there. You'll at least be able to see my face. <laughs> okay, we got we to shut this thing down. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right, we'll talk to you all Tuesday night after IU Duke. All right, later, everybody. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.